Amen. Today we're going to, for our Bible lesson, we're going to read from the Hebrew Bible, the book of Jonah. If you want to follow along, we're going to read from chapters 1 through 4, and I'm going to weave them into my sermon. May the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees said to Jesus, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. But what was the sign of the prophet Jonah? Was it that Jonah was saved from drowning by the jaws of a huge fish and then saved from death three days later when he was spit out? That's about all I remember from Bible school. Or was it that the mercy of God was so abundant that even the Ninevites, the cruelest imaginable enemies of Israel, could and would repent and that God would show them mercy? Or was it that God in His mercy held open the possibility that even Jonah and his bad attitude could be saved? I hope so. Because I am a lot more like Jonah than I'd like to admit. As we hear this ancient tale this morning, let it be a sign to us too. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish, a long way in the other direction from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, So he paid his fare and went aboard to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah tried to run away, but the Lord who made the sea and the dry land could not be escaped. God hurled a great wind unto the sea, bringing such a mighty storm that the ship threatened to break up. The sailors threw all the cargo overboard and prayed to their gods. The captain, finding Jonah asleep, begged him to do the same. And then they cast lots. They rolled dice and they found that the problem was Jonah. He confessed that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. The sailors feared the Lord and they asked what they should do to be saved. Jonah told them to throw him into the sea but in their faithfulness, they were afraid to kill him. And so they tried to row to shore, but the storm was still too great. And praying to Jonah's God for forgiveness, they reluctantly threw him overboard, and the sea was calm once again. And the sailors feared the Lord of the Hebrews and offered him sacrifices. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. 
Jennifer Clatterbuck told us that one of the children asked one time, well, wouldn't Jonah have been digested by then? That is a good question, my friend. That fish saved Jonah's life, but whatever was happening or not happening with the stomach acid, it had to make these days terrifying and excruciating for Jonah. If we did not know the rest of the story, we might wonder if this was Jonah hitting his rock bottom. Putting his own spin on the Psalms, he prayed, You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. The waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head and my life was ebbing away. I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. He was in that pit just like Joseph was last week. In the Hebrew Bible, often prayers for the future are voiced in the past tense based on the radical trust that what was being asked for was already accomplished in God. And so formed by that great tradition, Jonah could speak of his deliverance as if it had already happened. I called to the Lord out of my distress and He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. And while in the last scene the sailor's reverence and faith was contrasted by Jonah's disobedience and his aloofness toward God, now they've switched places. Jonah proclaims those who worship vain idols, the sailors, forsake their true loyalty. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it spewed Jonah out upon the dry land. And two, one step forward and two steps back, the Lord wasn't done with Jonah. The word of the Lord of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah went out to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. This time Jonah ran toward the call of God. In walking one day into the city, it would take three days to cross. Jonah gave the worst sermon ever. Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. But somehow it worked. Everyone in the city, from the king on down to the cows, put on sackcloth and ashes and repented. But the humor sets up a contrast that is not funny at all. The king in his repentance proclaims the good news that Jonah left out of his sermon. Who knows? God may relent and change His mind. He may turn from His fierce anger so that we do not perish. Jonah does not offer any hope for Nineveh's redemption. This pagan king who is known across the ancient Near East for his lack of mercy has to be the one who speaks God's mercy into the story. And it works. 
The Lord goes from being so angry. In the Hebrew, His nostrils are burning. He was breathing out fire in His wrath toward the Ninevites. God goes from being wrathful to repenting, to turning from His wrath because the Ninevites repented. And now, Jonah brings that bad attitude, that anger burning him up from beneath his obedience out into the open. Oh Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that You were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Why was Jonah so mad? Was it because God changed his mind? Was it because God refused to hate his enemies like he did? Was it because God refused to be cruel to the people who had been so cruel to Israel? In Jonah's mind, it wouldn't be cruel at all for God to destroy Nineveh. It would be righteous vindication. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, the nation that had destroyed northern Israel and forced her people into brutal captivity and exile. And unlike southern Israel's captivity in Babylon, those people would never be allowed to return to their home. They would be called the lost ten tribes of Israel. Assyria had committed unspeakable acts of violence, not only toward the bodies they had killed and enslaved, but toward the heritage of a people. And yet God who burned with righteous anger and justified wrath showed the perpetrator's mercy. The telling of the Jonah story is silly and nonsensical, but only because sometimes you have to laugh so that you don't cry. Jonah is so depressed at the injustice of it all that he wants to die. The Lord asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? It's important for us to notice that God doesn't tell Jonah not to be angry. God doesn't tell the people of Israel not to be angry over their mistreatment. After all, the Lord was angry enough to burn the whole city down just moments ago. I wonder if somehow in the mystery of God, if God was still angry as He is asking Jonah questions about His anger. I wonder if God was still angry about the injustice and the death and the destruction wrought by the Ninevites, yet somehow in the divine mystery, able to separate His anger toward their sin from the compassion He felt for them. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and God's ways are higher than our ways, but might it be possible for both anger and compassion to dwell within us too? God is asking Jonah, is your anger righteous? Is your anger and my anger the same? Jonah stomps off, refusing to even have a conversation with the Lord, but it's not a conscious choice. 
He's flipped his lid and the amygdala, the lizard brain, has taken over. He's incapable of higher processing. If he even heard God's words at all, he is unable to consider anything but the pain coursing through his body. It's an uncontrollable trauma response. He is all fight or flight in the moment. But even when he cools off, Jonah hopes against all hope that God will do the right thing and burn Nineveh down. So he goes to a hill outside of the city and he builds himself a shelter so he can watch his oppressors die. Then the Lord appointed a bush and made it come over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals? The Lord never tells Jonah not to be angry. But He asks Jonah again to consider whether or not his anger is justified. Is it right for us to be angry? Willie James Jennings suggests that anger rightly understood and channeled is a vehicle for hope. Because our anger can be an expression of God's Righteous indignation at a world that is not as it ought to be. As Dr. Jennings says, it points us to the change that must happen. That is the overturning of an unjust world order. He says, God wants us to hate what God hates. God invites us into a shared fury. But only the kind that we creatures can handle You all know that anger is frightening because it's not easily controllable. Anger can easily touch hatred. And if anger enters into hatred, then we will be drawn into violence. And way too many people in this world have been drawn deeply into violence. The problem with Jonah's anger was that it went too far. Jonah hated what God hated. Jonah shared God's fury, but he couldn't control it. It controlled him. It became hatred. A hatred that wished for violence. Dr. Jennings continues, what Christian faith knows is that the way to keep anger from hatred is not to deny anger, to pretend that it's not real. No, we can't do that. 
What keeps anger from touching hatred is not the cunning of reason or the power of will. It is simply Jesus. For the Christian, Jesus stands between anger and hatred, prohibiting the reach, blocking the touch, and saying to us, don't go there. There is nothing there but death. That's what we see in the story of Jonah. God was trying to get between Jonah and his hatred before his hatred destroyed him. God saw something in Jonah that was powerful enough to stop his hatred. Earlier in the story, the narrator tells us that Jonah expressed delight at the growing of the plant that gave him shade and then cried out in despair at the sun beating down on his head. But Phyllis Tribble notices that God sees what the narrator left out. Jonah, God saw Jonah expressing concern in the Hebrew compassion for the plant when it withered. God believes that if Jonah can show just a little compassion for a plant, that compassion like a mustard seed can grow within him until his hatred is choked and shriveled like that vine eaten by the worm. God asks, if you can have compassion on a plant, shouldn't I be able to have compassion on a city of 120,000 persons? The unspoken question being, shouldn't you too? We don't know how Jonah answers the Lord's question. The author leaves it open-ended. But how Jonah answers the question is not really the point. As the story abruptly ends with Jonah and God sitting on the outskirts of Nineveh at an impasse, we realize that we are the ones who must answer. We are the ones who must write the ending. The choice we have is not between being angry or not being angry. There is much we should be angry about in this life. The sickness and death that robs us of loved ones. The abuse, neglect, and dysfunction that plagues our family lives. The inequality and violence that traumatizes our nation. We should feel God's righteous indignation burning within us against whatever and whoever takes life. Some of us need to stop denying this anger because if it doesn't come out, it will destroy us from within. And like Jonah, we will wish that our lives would end. And others of us need to stop letting this anger have its own way with us because we wreak havoc wherever we go. May we have the courage to bring our anger out into the open where it can be acknowledged and questioned and processed. May we have the courage to stop confusing Christianity with politeness or niceness. Bless our hearts. Lift up your honest anger to God. Journal about it. Pray about it. If you don't know where to start, go to the Psalms. They might surprise you, but they will give you the words that you don't think you have or you don't think you have the permission to speak for your prayer. Let God have it.
God can handle it. Talk about your anger with a parent or friend or therapist or pastor. It may be that your anger helps someone see something that needs to change about their behavior or exposes a problem that is happening in your relationship or helps someone else or helps you or your community see a problem in the world that we live in. But the biggest change might come inside of you. It's amazing how much bondage can be broken in our lives by speaking the unspeakable. And getting that anger out of you where it can be processed will allow you to make a different choice. Not the choice about whether to be angry or not angry, but the choice of compassion over hatred. Not by the cunning of our own reason or the power of our own will, but simply Jesus, the crucified One who stands between our anger and our hatred like God did for Jonah. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. May we be empowered to choose compassion as we are caught up in the presence of our Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer who meets the injustices of our hearts and the injustices of all of history with the only thing that can save us, which is self-giving love. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, May it be so with us right here and right now. Amen.